Well, it has been an exciting season around here. We have had three weeks of something special and extra going on. Three weeks ago, we had Senior Sunday, and we had eight amazing seniors here to talk about what this church has meant to them, and we got to send them off into their next season of life. The next week, we celebrated the 10-year anniversary of the Joseph Project, and so many of you brought donations and canned goods to continue feeding those who are hungry in our community. Last Sunday, we had Confirmation Sunday, and we confirmed three awesome youth who are now members of this church and now get to continue in their faith journey as a member of the youth group. Well, today is the first regular, normal, what do we call it? A standalone Sunday where we're not celebrating something in particular, but instead we're going to continue wrestling with the Trinity and all the mysteries that are a part of our faith. When I was in seminary, my friends and I came across a video that really demonstrated how hard it is to do a demonstration that explains the Trinity without also it being a heresy, something that is contrary to God and Orthodox teachings. It's a really funny video. So there are two Irishmen speaking to St. Patrick. So the two Irishmen say to St. Patrick, will you explain the Trinity to us? But know that we are very simple people without all your fancy learning and your books, and we need you to really break it down for us. So St. Patrick says, the Trinity is like water in three forms, liquid, ice, and steam. All water, just in different states. And the two Irishmen say back, that's modalism, Patrick. An ancient heresy where God is not three distinct persons, but merely three modes of the same. St. Patrick says, okay then, the Trinity is like the sun, the star, the heat, and the light. The two men respond, oh Patrick, come on, that's Arianism, another heresy by which the Son and Holy Spirit are only byproducts of the Father rather than equal with him. St. Patrick, obviously getting a little flustered with this exercise, says, the Trinity is like a three-leaf clover. They say, we're going to stop you right there, Patrick. You're entering into another heresy called partialism, where the three parts of the Trinity are only make up one-third of God, and none are fully God by themselves. St. Patrick tries a couple more. I imagine he would love to try the s'more analogy to see how St. Patrick, how the two Irishmen said to that. But finally, he explodes with, fine. The Trinity is a mystery that cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best expressed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God, the Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal in glory and majesty. And the two Irishmen are stunned, and they say, well, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> the truth is, our faith is made up with things big and small, that are divine mysteries. We cannot clean them up and package them into a neat box. And that's hard for us as logical people. We like things that we can reason with and that are pretty plainly black or white, things that make sense. Think about the world we live in. We are smarter today than any generation that's come before because we have the internet at the tip of our fingers. If we can't find something on Google, we can phone a friend. There are lots of ways we can learn things. We know a lot of information. 
But for me, um, after seven years of studying religion and theology, and I know Sterling would say the same, that time only affirmed that I will never understand it all. In fact, I think it gave me more questions than answered because God is so complex and there's so much that we can always continue to learn and grow. And I think our friend Nicodemus would say the same thing. Our gospel passage this morning comes from the Gospel of John. And John is different than the other three gospels known as the synoptics. John shows the signs and wonders and mysteries of Jesus in a really unique way. And so Nicodemus comes on the scene. He approaches Jesus under the cover of darkness. He's not supposed to be associating with Jesus. Jesus is kind of like seen as someone that's come in and disrupt the religious center that's happening here. And Nicodemus was a powerful Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And so he approaches Jesus in the middle of the night because he has some questions. He's interested in what's going on, these signs and wonders. And he wants to ask him, what is going on? How are you doing this? So he begins by saying, Jesus, you must be connected to God because no one could do the things you're doing apart from God, but I don't understand how it all works. So he's affirming that, yes, Jesus is somehow divine. There's definitely a connection there. And Jesus responds to this statement with, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. So not exactly an answer, not exactly what Nicodemus was looking for. And in fact, this just leads to more confusion for Nicodemus, who has come seeking answers about who Jesus is. Because the word above that Jesus uses there can also mean again. So Nicodemus hears, you must be born again. As in, he thinks, he must enter again into his mother's womb. And he's thinking logically, that makes no sense. How is this possible? But Jesus, of course, was talking about a spiritual birth, something being born of the Spirit. So Jesus tries again and tells him that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they have this spiritual birth along with their physical birth. He says, no one knows where the wind goes, where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but we don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And again, Nicodemus says to Jesus, how? How can these things be? And then Jesus says, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? I imagine that this whole interaction has been confusing and a bit of a gut punch for Nicodemus, but especially that last line when Jesus says, Aren't you the guy who's supposed to be the religious authority, supposed to have all the answers, and you can't even get it face to face with me right here? It's looking pretty rough for Nicodemus. But all he can say is, how? Jesus, how are you connected to God, yet you are human? How can a person be born again? How are you born of the Spirit? How does all of this work? Jesus' frustration is not at the fact that he has questions. The Jewish faith in particular encourages questions and curiosities about Scripture and the faith. It's a really good thing. But Jesus is frustrated because Nicodemus' focus is on the wrong thing. Nicodemus is focused on earth and religion. Jesus is focused on the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is focused on fact and reason and logic. And Jesus is focused on the movement of the Holy Spirit. 
Nicodemus in this story seems unable to leave this literal, physical world that he sees to enter into this divine, spiritual realm that Jesus is trying to bring him up into. But Jesus desperately wants Nicodemus to get this. That's why he's frustrated. He says, you're a teacher of Israel. I need you to get this. Come on, let's, let's try one more time. He wants Nicodemus to know that no matter how much school you go to, no matter how many services you go to, there are some things that will not make logical sense, but that you must understand by faith. And in this surrender, when we surrender our need to have all the answers, to have control, to have certainty, in that, by faith, we are open to a whole new realm of possibility. You know, Monday was a special day in the United Methodist movement called Aldersgate Day. I don't know if any of you saw some of the posts that were going around on Facebook. I saw several pastors posting videos about how Aldersgate has affected them. And while Aldersgate Day is not as big as Memorial Day coming up, where you get an extra day in the weekend, it's a federal holiday, Aldersgate Day is important for those of us in the Methodist movement who have a connection to John Wesley. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist movement. His father was an Anglican priest, and his mother had an even higher calling, raising her 19 children and homeschooling them, and teaching them all about scripture and religion. And she was strict. She didn't mess around. She spent at least an hour with each child each week, intentionally teaching them about scripture and faith. So John Wesley, when he was an adult, he went to Oxford to study. And while he was there, he joined this group of men. They were the same age. And they were all really dedicated to holy living. They took communion at least once a week, they prayed together daily, they visited prisons, they studied scripture. To say that they were dedicated to this is an understatement, because people on the outside looking in at this small group of men thought it was really bizarre and mockingly called them Bible moths, holy rollers, and Methodist. But it wasn't until Wesley was 35 on May 24th, 1738, that he experienced the assurance of salvation in his soul. He reluctantly attended a group meeting at a church off Aldersgate Street in London. And while he was there, he heard a reading from Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, and Wesley wrote this in his journal about this experience. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sin, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This holy moment for John Wesley, this moment of assurance, his heart was warmed. It had nothing to do with his education. It had nothing to do with the number of times he had gone to church or his righteousness or any of that stuff. Surely it helped him be aware of the Holy Spirit moving. But that moment, that assurance in his soul is not something that we can touch or something that we can logically understand or say exactly how it happened. That was God doing what only God could do in the life of someone who is living by faith. God yearns for all of humanity to have that same type of assurance. 
to know within our bones, to have our hearts strangely warmed at the fact that God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will experience eternal life. God sent Jesus to earth so that we could see the love of God in the flesh, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, and pointing people towards the kingdom of God, which is our eternal home. God desires for all of us to feel that warmth, to feel that assurance, something beyond logic, beyond understanding, and yet it is only through faith that we can experience this. I am sure, like the two Irishmen in the video, and like Nicodemus, you have some questions about how all of this works. This being the Trinity, of course, the incarnation, the resurrection, being saved by grace, you fill in the blank with what you have questions about today. Yet I see you all display faith each week. It doesn't make any sense that you would give up a day of your weekend and come to worship especially on a holiday weekend. But you are here nonetheless because it's important to your faith and you have a belief in God that this is important. It doesn't make any sense that you would give some of your salary each week or some of your retirement to help further the kingdom of God right here in Mobile, Alabama. And yet you continue to do so. It makes no sense that you would serve on committees, that you would come to meetings, that you would pray for people you've never met, that you would make food for people who are in need. None of these things are logical unless you are living for a different reality, a spiritual kingdom, an eternal home yet unseen. And that is what we are all called to do. So friends, I invite you to lean into the mystery to surrender your need for control and all of the answers, and to know that in the letting go, we let God be God. May we be bold and place our trust in God, the one who created us, the one who redeemed us, and the one who is sustaining us even now. Amen.